Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. You may not have heard this before, but about 100 years ago, cattle were actually led into courtrooms. And there were actually trials held in an effort to sort the cattle out. In one case, the defendant's name was Mr. Scrub Bull. According to one magazine, the bull was escorted by a policeman into a makeshift courtroom that was in Pickens County, South Carolina in October of 1922. The bull stood on its four legs, of course, in front of a magistrate, and his name was James McElroy Jameson. The court officer then read the bill of indictments against Mr. Scrub Bull, and this is what he said. The defendant works in a very underhand way, stealing the profits from every dairyman and butcher who has common cows, robbing the unsuspecting, the careless, and the ignorant alike, causing their innocent children to suffer for milk and working men to be in want of meat. Awful lot said there, but we really, I was even confused when I read this article. So what does it mean? The charge that was being leveled against Mr. Scrub Bull was genetic impurity. In other words, he was not a purebred bull. That is, an animal believed to produce more food than some runty scrub bull, as they were called. Some called this the court of bovine justice, but it was designed to convince farmers that they should only choose purebred bulls when they were looking for an animal to breed with their cows. Certainly such trials were strange for sure, but actually they were endorsed by the United States Department of Agriculture, and they were quite popular. Across the country, cattle were routinely put on trial, and it was in front of crowds that could number in the thousands. The trials had real judges, real lawyers, witnesses, jurors, and verdicts were issued about whether an animal was fit to breed or not. The judge might conclude that the animal was an unworthy father, one whose very existence was detrimental to the progress and prosperity of the public at large. In the end, the convicted bull would be led away, shot, and then used as barbecue meat. That poor scrub bull would, in effect, become lunch for everybody who came to see the trial. These bizarre cattle courts occurred alongside a a very darker moment in our American history, and about the same time, a eugenics movement was on the rise, a movement that aimed to limit the reproduction of people who were deemed unfit. According to one story, historians estimate that more than 60,000 Americans were sterilized in the decades leading up to the Second World War, with many more persecuted under racist immigration laws and marriage restrictions. 60,000 Americans. Let that number just sink in a little bit. All of these were declared to be scrub humans, if you will, unfit for reproduction. And this was not some fringe movement. An Ohio State University psychologist argued that some people are in fact scrubs who should not even receive higher education. Clearly there was a work towards dividing the purebreds and the scrubs. And while it might involve animals, it began to involve people as well. 
It's been going on for a long time. You can go back to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when the, the people of Israel returned to Jerusalem after time of exile. Ezra the priest rejected marriages between Israelites and foreigners, saying to people, you have trespassed and married foreign women and so increased the guilt of Israel. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. In other words, separate yourselves from the scrubs. This concern for purity was also found in the New Testament. Last week, we heard about Peter's journey, going up to the roof, falling asleep, having a vision, becoming hungry and hearing and seeing all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles and birds of the air, basically scrub animals. And the voice cried out, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. For a religious man like Peter, only purebred food would do to take care of his hunger. But then that voice again, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. That was a game-changing insight as we talked about last week. And suddenly all the courts of the bovine justice needed to be disbanded. And Peter realized that he could have relationships with people beyond the nation of Israel. He met with a God-fearing Gentile named Cornelius, a Roman centurion. He came to the conclusion that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God. So the division between purebreds and scrubs suddenly, by the power of God, let Peter know there was no distinction between the two. And then in our scripture today, just a short time later, the Apostle Paul traveling with Timothy and Silas traveling through the area that we would call modern-day Turkey and Greece. And much like Peter, one night, Paul had a vision. Seeing a man in Macedonia, a scrub human of all sorts from Macedonia, begging Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over to Macedonia? Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's a Roman colony run by a bunch of Gentiles who have little respect for the law or the traditions of Israel. In Macedonia, you have corrupt businessmen and slave girls along with Roman magistrates who could easily arrest the followers of Jesus, have them flogged and then thrown into prison. So what was Paul's answer to that? Let's go. Acts tells us that Paul and Timothy and Silas immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had claimed us, called us to proclaim the good news to them. When it comes to preaching good news, there are no scrub bulls of Macedonia. The three men hopped on that ship, sailed to Troas, Samothrace, Neapolis, and then finally to Philippi, which of course was a, a leading city there in Macedonia. They stayed in the city for several days and then went down to the river to pray. There they found a group of women. They began to talk with them, the ones that were gathered there and the men followed the example of Jesus in always showing respect and honor to the women. One of them was a successful businesswoman. Of course, we know her name is Lydia. Acts tells us that the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. She accepted the good news that Paul was sharing, and both she and her household were then baptized. And then she offered them hospitality, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come. Come and stay at my home. And they accepted. Lydia became the very first European convert to Christianity. 
She was received into the Christian faith with, without any concern about her genetic background or purity. So when do we fall into the trap of separating people into purebreds and, and scrubs? In many congregations, the welcoming of strangers from foreign lands and unfamiliar cultures is absolutely a challenge. Across our country today, immigrants are coming to church just as they always have. Last week at Furwood, there was a young woman who came in almost right at 10 o'clock, sat in the back. Folks told me afterwards she was from Ukraine. She and her family are looking not just to move to the area, they are looking for a church now. They are coming to church as they always have. But where previous waves of immigrants were largely European, these, these new arrivals coming from non-Western countries, these folks seeking a connection are from cultures and have different skin colors than the rest of us. Sometimes these newcomers may rattle established churches, introducing new worship styles and, and beliefs. And that's not always well received when you share a building. One church member, after witnessing a spirited service from a different culture in her church that she'd been attending since 1955, said, if they want to worship that way, fine, but don't bring it into my sanctuary. She saw the newcomers as scrubs. The first step, I think, in overcoming this challenge is to expand our outreach to people of different races and cultures. And that should be based on the understanding that everyone Everyone is made in the image of God. Author and pastor John Pavlovich says, when you meet another person, you are coming face to face with a once in history, never to be repeated, reflection of the image of God. If God is God, there's no other option. They are each made of God stuff. Every single day, you encounter thousands of breathing, animated small pictures of God. Whether they're black, white, Asian, European, African, Latino, or Native American, they are all created and made of God's stuff. In the eyes of God, everyone is a purebred. We also need to practice true Christian hospitality, showing the same kind of welcome that Jesus showed the people of his day. Or even Lydia showing to the people of her day. We can do this by sitting down with folks on the margins of society. Just like Jesus broke bread with tax collectors and sinners, they were considered the scrubs of first century Israel. Such a welcome, though, requires a commitment by each of us to embrace all people as God has embraced us in Christ. It involves a willingness on our part to see everyone as a child of God, a sinner for whom Christ died. A person bearing the image of God, no matter how obscured that image might be through their personal sinfulness or the societal prejudice. 100 years ago today, the Lincoln Memorial was dedicated. The monument was first proposed in 1867, but construction didn't begin till 1914. The cornerstone was set in 1915. Architect Henry Bacon designed it to resemble the Greek Parthenon. He believed that a defender of democracy should be memorialized in a building that pays homage to the birthplace of democracy. Sculptor Daniel Chester French studied photographs of Lincoln for years. His Lincoln appears somber, careworn, one hand closed in a fist, the other 
in a more relaxed position. The monument was dedicated in front of an audience of more than 50,000 people. Even though Lincoln was known as the great emancipator, the audience that day was segregated. The keynote speaker, Robert Moton, was president of the Tuskegee Institute and an African-American. He was not permitted to sit on the speaker's platform because he was black. Just over 40 years later, on the 100th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation, Martin Luther King would give his I Have a Dream speech from the steps of that Lincoln Memorial in front of an audience of 200,000 people. We don't want the church to continue to be a court of, of bovine justice of sorts, judging people as purebred or scrubs, unless and until we make that commitment to embrace all people with God's love and grace. Christ has shown us by his own example, and we are called to lead others by his example in our lives. That means training ourselves to receive and include strangers into the, the life of the church. It requires crafting worship in such a way that it moves people to invite their friends and neighbors to services. True hospitality is practiced when we learn to offer meals in which people can gather around tables for conversations. Of course, that's tough in a time of COVID, right? But at some point, those conversations lead to the development of those relationships. A true welcome is experienced when newcomers join small groups where they can grow in faith and deep-spirited friendships, purebreds and scrubs. The distinction broke down for Peter when he had his vision, when Paul had his and it can break down for us too. There is no one that you will run into today. There is no one that you will speak with, pass by on the highway, pass by walking, that is not made of God's stuff. We are called to share the good news, to travel where we can travel, to go where God calls us to go to guide us. We gather together to ask God's blessing so that we might go and tell, to go and invite, to remind people who they are. You are made in God's image. You are a child of God. Who do you know that needs to hear that? Who do you know that needs a reminder that they are made of God's stuff? That even in the midst of all they're going through, they are still a child of God, and can have hope that the Spirit is with them. Again, as you pass by, not just today, but every day, and you see people, remind yourself that is a child of God. That person, just like me, is made of God's stuff. Amen.